and gentlemen. Uh, Can I please have your attention? Greetings, dear listeners. This is Jonah Goldberg, host of the Remnant Podcast, brought to you by the Dispatch and Dispatch Media, um, and other things. So uh, uh, the reviews are in. Yesterday's solo podcast was, in the words of uh, a Doctor Livesey in the comments, "worst podcast ever." Um, <laughs> but then other people liked it, and. Uh, so uh, maybe today what we can do is make the people who liked yesterday's uh, hate this one and vice versa. Um, because one of my rules is if you're pleasing all of your readers or all your listeners all the time, you're doing something wrong because uh, sometimes you have to be, be willing to disappoint your fans. Um, and so maybe I'm on a roll. In that, in that regard, uh, maybe this is like peak performance and disappointing my fans. So we're going to do uh, sort of another one of these drive time things. And we have with us um, Ryan Brown of The Dispatch. Hello, Ryan. Hello, hello. Um, did you get that hello, hello from Caleb? Because that's how he always... You know what? Actually, me. yeah, I think I, think, I think I legit did. And I... It's, it's weird. And now I didn't even think about it. I just said hello, hello, and I didn't even think about yeah. like it being from Caleb, but it totally is. Yeah. 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 Yep. Um, I, 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 I affirmatively don't like it and I don't want it to spread. <laughs> so just to say, I don't like it. From I usually Caleb, go with a like, yo in real yeah. life. I'm like, yo, or an, I Begora or something, yeah. you know, more fitting, but anyway, <laughs> and then we got, uh, our, our, our deracinated British friend, uh, uh, Guy Denton, who, um, is still in the UK, but he's, he's coming home soon. Uh, so to speak, uh, good morning, guy, or good afternoon, yep. or whatever. Equatorial. We are, we are all in such different time zones right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's kind of crazy. Good morning, um, master. I'll stick with that. I'll stick with good morning. And isn't that yes, a preferable right. greeting to Ryan's awful Caleb imitation? <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good point. And also, it, it should be your view that whatever time zone I'm in, precisely, is Jonah yes. standard time applies at all times for you. <laughs> JST. Um, uh, so, uh, with that said, uh, we've got some goodish news, right? That um, the uh, longstanding uh, remain in England policy is being lifted, and that you can, um, you might actually be able to come to the United States. Where does it stand? Well, we're going to have to do an extended discussion of this when I'm actually in the country, just to so people at home can learn how nightmarish the whole thing really is and there are also mm -hmm. plenty of opportunities there for good old-fashioned wonkery uh for those for both people at home listening who are deeply invested in this saga they'll remember that this all started back in august and mm -hmm. just now it looks like we're on the home stretch with it uh because between travel restrictions and embassy shutdowns and government shutdowns trying to clear all the hurdles has been a Herculean, Herculean labor in the truest sense. But fortunately, a few weeks ago, um, AEI, my delightful sponsors, who I have nothing but praise and reverence for, uh, petitioned the government. The government quickly approved the petition. I expected it to be bounced back repeatedly and to take a while. And so now all I have to do is go to the embassy and clear the interview. And that is booked for Wednesday. Uh, so, I'm some quick advice. This won't, 
I'm praying that this won't jinx it and get that appointment canceled now that we're discussing it. <laughs> Hopefully there are no remnant listeners at the U.S. Embassy in, in, in London. Um, that would be so great, though. <laughs> that would be awesome. If they just, if they if just you sat down and they you, were like, yeah, yeah, we'll get to the, the other stuff later, but... <laughs> I don't talk about the remnant. <laughs> how, you know, how can you defend Goldberg on this? You know, yeah, exactly. Um, no, but yeah. I, 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 some tips. You know, because my understanding is that the, that these interviews are largely pro forma, right? Um, Where do you see yourself but, in five years? Yeah, not even goals? necessarily that. From if what you I could believe, be a tree, think... what kind of tree would you be? Right, you know, that <laughs> yeah. kind of stuff. But no. Who I'll, was your first crush? What was the most what, embarrassing um, childhood experience? But there are certain phrases you should probably avoid using. And like one of them, which I've met, I think I've mentioned this to you before is don't, when you, when you sip a cup of coffee for the first time, don't shout really loud, Alu Akbar, that's really good coffee. <laughs> um, and, uh, um, and you might want to watch the, the episode of Seinfeld where, uh, George Costanza is trying to keep his girlfriend in prison, right? So his, <laughs> he's doing this interview, maybe we can play the audio of it, but like he's, like he's called into the prison to give like a character reference for his girlfriend so she can get like out on parole. And he realizes that he doesn't want her out because it's great having a girlfriend in prison. He gets the conjugal visits. But other than that, she's like not <laughs> nagging him and he has lots of free time to be a bro and all this kind of stuff. So when he goes in and does the interview, um, she keeps asking, you know, the, the, the warden of the prison or whatever keeps asking these questions and, and, and he keeps rephrasing the premises of them to make it sound like she's, you know, I'm still a criminal. And so I was like, yeah. yeah, you know, but she keeps talking about getting back together with the gang. And uh, <laughs> she has all these great plans for when she gets out or, or sometimes she calls them schemes. Um, and uh, you might want to watch that and then kind of do the opposite of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, good luck with all of it. Do you remember the Simpsons episode where they go nuts about illegal immigration and Apu has to try and naturalize? Vaguely. There's this great scene at the end where he goes in for his citizenship interview and he's crammed all night with Lisa. And the guy asks him, what was the main cause of the Civil War? And he says, well, actually, there were numerous causes. On top of the various economic factors in the South and problems that have been compounded over the years. And the guy says, just, just, just say slavery. Just say slavery and go. <laughs> so I'm hoping it will um, be like that and fairly rudimentary questions. Well, that's, it's, it's funny you say that because it's like um, my wife and I struggled with this a lot before when my daughter was in high school where like I can't help with any of the math, obviously, I mean, obviously, <laughs> but um, uh, when it would be like social studies or history stuff, um, she'd ask me, you know, for help on various things and I'd have to do this whole thing. Okay, here's the answer you're look they want you to have. And here's what I think happened. I don't, I didn't feel like here's what happened because that's, that's unfair to her. I'd be like, yeah. you know, they want you to talk about the 14 points, um, of, you know, and, and, and the fight for self-determination as democracy and Woodrow Wilson is a great guy, blah, blah, blah. And then I would be like, Woodrow, Woodrow Wilson is a demon who will eat your eyeballs if you fall asleep on him. And, um, uh, and let, and then I just let her decide. So. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. So, guy, one last question about um, the Shire, where you are. Um, uh, the the Omicron thing. Uh, are people freaking out about it there as much as some people are freaking out about it here? 
or is this more American? I know, I know you don't pay attention to your own country in any way, but like maybe you overheard something. I do sometimes <laughs> have to go outside. In yeah. it. I know that's shocking. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, the funny thing is really, uh, it's been, life has been essentially normal here for months. The concerts are back, plays and theater and things like that are back. The only thing you can't do is travel abroad because the whole rest of the world is still in ruins. Yeah. But people for months essentially weren't wearing masks. The government wanted them to, but most people weren't doing it. Now, there's a, a bit of freak out among the people who are irrationally concerned about it anyway, but they've, they've re-implemented a mask mandate for shops and stores and things like that. And they want people to distance even though no one does it. But Otherwise, uh, otherwise, it's still more or less normal, and I strongly doubt they'll be willing to go through with another lockdown. Yeah, I mean, it's weird because when you know when it, when you drive across country, most of this country just doesn't give a damn anymore. I mean, yeah, if it yeah. ever did, you know, and, and I, it's weirdly, I think I've driven cross country three times since the beginning of the pandemic, four times. Um, <laughs> that's got to um, be a record. There's gotta, that's got to be the most of anyone in the country. <laughs> I don't, there's no way I'm drivers. measuring that, but <laughs> yeah, right. Yes, yes. Leisure, for um, leisure driving, you you hold the record. And, uh, um, you know, it's really just a blue state bubble thing. Right. And, unfor- and particularly blue city or blue county kind of thing. And unfortunately, yeah, one of the things more that, local. Yeah, I mean San Juan count or San Juan Islands are very freaky about, you know, they're very it's a very blue place. And um uh so all stores, masks, all that kind of stuff. Um but um you get out into the rest of the country and it's just like it just it's not going on. And um I was thinking about this. They talked about this a little bit on the commentary podcast, but like uh it's very, very weird how most Americans have gotten vaccinated, which tells you that like all of the anti-vax stuff that you see on Twitter and that you hear on on Fox and and never mind, you know, the those weird peachy dishes of crazy like OAN and, and Newsmax, all that stuff is very niche, right? I mean, it's like like they're only a hand and like, you know, Dennis Prager, you know, talks about which Dennis Prager who has considerable cognitive ability. Right. Um, he just has decided to put it in a locker in a bus station somewhere. Um, <laughs> he, he said recently that the unvaccinated are the most hated people. Um, wow. In the world since slavery. And, wow. um, that's just a uh, dumb. I mean, it's just like really <laughs> yeah, dumb. And, um, and, but, but moreover, what's, I guess what, what, what I'm pointing is what's interesting is that the neat, the, the market for this stuff about how vaccines are bad and dangerous and all this kind of stuff is not a mass market. You know, when 83% mm-hmm. of the American people have been vaccinated, mm-hmm. it's not like you're even trying to talk to some kind of plurality of people you're you know the people who actually believe this stuff in a non-performative way are very very small and um but you to li- and, and 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 i shouldn't just pick on the right-wing crazies the left-wing crazies think this whole the whole country is split between crazy maga people 
who are unvaccinated and normals in big cities who, you know, want 10 more boosters. And uh, that's just not true either. Right. I mean, and so it's like the whole conversation at the elite level or at the certainly the cable news level level is this, you know, two groups having this fringe understanding of or this 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 view of the people who disagree with them as being representative of half the country when in reality it's like seven percent of the country because a lot of the unvaccinated people aren't MAGA people they're like you know big city healthcare workers and you know various other people and it's it just shows you how disconnected a lot of the kind of conversations that we have are and I I so I have a I have a I'm increasingly confident that Omicron is really good news like not just huh. like not just like uh, not the bad news that people are saying, but straight up a net positive for humanity. Because wow. if you wanted to come right now, no one has died from Omicron. Right. And apparently it has been in the United States a lot longer than we thought. We just noticed it in Africa. It may turn out that it was here first and someone brought it to Africa and then they just happened to notice it there. <laughs> Who knows? But it's been yeah. around. No one's died from it. The overwhelming majority of people who've been diagnosed with it have had very mild symptoms. And so these mutations that everyone's talking about, um, um, you know, that give you adamantium claws and, you know, the power vision, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> right. But no, these, these, these mutations, um, those are different. Um, they make it more contagious or they may, they may make it more contagious, may it, make it possible to slip past those who are naturally immune. People who've had normal COVID can get more likely to get sick again from this. I, I read that somewhere. Um, maybe it works around the vaccinated people too, but it doesn't make you very sick. It doesn't send you to the hospital. If you wanted to get to herd immunity faster and not rely on the bureaucracy of inoculating, you know, billions of people, one of the best ways to do that is to have a variant that gives you natural immunity to COVID. Yeah. That is, that is more contagious than Delta or all these other things, but actually makes you less sick than any of those things. And it looks like, looks, knock on wood, I hope I'm right, obviously. It would be really bad if you know, I didn't hope I was right. Um, you that's did what it, Omicron Goldberg. is. Right. <laughs> um, anyway, so, I mean, what, would be what great, do you guys think? What would be really hilarious, if you're right, is to see Fauci go on Meet the Press and say, to end this pandemic, we all need to get COVID. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> go out, get it, don't wear a mask, no more boosters, just everybody get it, and then we'll just be good forever. That would, that would make so many people that I don't want to see happy, happy. Yeah, yeah. But if it, did, if it did end this thing, whatever, go for it. Let's do it. Yeah, no, I mean, they could like turn back on the water parks and make everybody yeah. get in like the yeah. slip and slides yeah. to like get sick yeah. as quickly as possible. They'd, they'd yeah. send out stimulus checks just for water parks. <laughs> right. You know, and you like everybody on the parks. plane, please take off your masks and lick yeah. your armrest. You know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, man. There'd be so many funny things you could do. Oh, everything in terms of this dismal rock of a country, everything that you just said is equally applicable here. And in fact, the anti-vax sentiment is even less pronounced because this country doesn't have nearly the same kind of wide media and think tank infrastructure as the U.S. does. There just aren't that many outlets to promote the kind of whacked out conspiracies. I think the, I think the 
take up of first doses is nearly 95%. And well, second mm. doses are catching up. Boosters, I think, are already at 30%. And it's funny, too. I, I do know people. I'm sure you know you both know plenty of people who won't get it either because they're just stubborn and stupid and they want to, they think it's an internal victory over the government or because they're insane and they think it's going to give them bone claws, like you just said. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's, that's actually a very good point. The mutation that Wolverine has wasn't had nothing to do with adamantium. <laughs> Get they, out of it, Jonah. <laughs> they had to add that later. Uh, it was just the bone claw and the healing process, which made it possible to add the adamantium. Ad, at Adam Abdeen. I'm sorry, you were about to say something important, Ryan, unlike what I just no, said? No, not really. No, I mean, I think I do think there's just a small contingent of the unvaccinated that are just genuinely skeptical and just genuinely like, I'm just not sure. It's something you put in your body, but if you just do a little bit of research, you know, that's enough to convince yeah, what, 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 but. what I just find truly dismaying are, yeah, I can't remember, there was some congressman, they had a clip of him on Twitter the other day, talking about how it's outrageous that schools administer polio vaccines, you know, or require, you know, uh, measles. They're like, what? Like, this is truly a step backward, you know? Guys probably knows this because I've written about it so many times, but there's this, this wonderful essay by um, Tom Wolfe called The Great Relearning that I quote mm. fairly often. And he tells the story about how, I think it's like one of the most conservative optimistically conservative things ever written in a sense because his point is he, he tells this story about how during the summer of love in san francisco uh doctors public health officials were all of a sudden seeing some weird stuff that they hadn't seen before and uh and i always thought maybe maybe he took a little license in telling him the tale but it's a great story where he says they had to consult like 19th century medical textbooks because what they were seeing were all sorts of weird rashes and diseases and infections that were common before the age of hygiene and antibiotics. And it's because all of these hippies were living, were rejecting all of the accumulated wisdom of Western civilization and like living in, uh, you know, these love in communes, you know, like, mm -hmm. you know, you know, you're not the boss of me. Don't tell me I have to bathe kind of thing. And so like, you know, they were getting stuff, you know, not just like impetigo, but all sorts of like gross, weird, ringwormy kind of stuff. And like, he has this list of the names that these things used to have, you know, the itch, the drip, the rot, mm -hmm. you know, all these kind of like grim things. Yeah. And his point was, is like, when it's a constant theme of the stuff I write, it's a big point of a whole point of suicide. Of the West to a certain extent is that, most of the accumulated wisdom that we have is not in our brains. It's sort of in the cloud of civilization itself. And like, I mean, no one on this conversation knows how the computers we're talking to into actually work, right? If you were sent back a hundred or a thousand years ago and you wanted to tell people, give people a huge head start on technology, and you could tell them all about the internet and cars and, and planes and stuff. And they say, that's great. How do they work? You'd be like totally friggin' useless because you have no idea. Um, we outsource a lot of this kind of knowledge and the first kind of now, you know, like knowledge we outsource is like the really basic stuff about that, that's embedded in things like good manners and, 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 and hygiene and, you know, the mm -hmm. stuff your grandmother used to tell you turns out to be true. And, um, 
Uh, anyway, so I was thinking about this because on NPR this morning, they had this piece about how in Oakland, they're like turning around the, uh, the defund the police momentum because murders are going through the roof. And it turns out what? that like, like normal people are all, are all sorts of normal people who are inclined to talk about like the problems of police abuse and, and maybe we should get rid of the police until they remember, oh yeah, that's what police are for. And similarly, <laughs> like with this vaccine crap, like put COVID aside, if you're really talking about getting rid of vaccinations for, you know, measles and rubella and, 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 and you know, polio and all these kinds of things, you're basically just taking a friggin' sledgehammer to the soapbox you're standing on. Cause that's like, that's, yeah. that's like basic crap, regardless of ideology that we're just supposed to like not question. And that gets to like the right. most hated podcast in, in history yeah, I that I did yesterday with the whole um, dogma thing. I'm just like dogmatically in favor of like police stopping people from murdering teenagers, you know, just, that just, no, I don't have to have a debate about it. If you want me to come up with good arguments for why we should have police preventing wanton murder, you know, uh, I, I can come up with them, you know, but I shouldn't have to. It just should be one of these things that there's a consensus about. It seems like nowadays that it's almost a sign of weakness if, they're, if you agree with something everyone else thinks. And that's crazy to me. There's no, there's no through line in our society anymore. And it's damaging. Well, yeah, I mean, like, again, it seems like the business model and like I plead somewhat guilty to this, you know, I mean, liberal fascism played on this trend in the culture. I mean, I'll defend liberal fascism, the book, not the, not, not the phenomenon. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, you know, I mean, you have, you know, you, when the, let's put it this way, on January 6th, the first reaction from people who were sort of Trump defenders was, oh, these aren't the real Trump defenders. These have to be like Antifa and... Black Lives Matter and crisis actors and it's a false flag operation and blah, 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 because our people would never do anything like this. And then pretty soon when that became impossible to defend, the actual position became like with the Tucker stuff. Oh, no, no. What they did was good and right. You know, they yeah. were, you know, and the, the bad people were, in fact, the police who tricked them into it or whatever. And yeah. the people who were arrested are are political prisoners and all this kind of stuff. You have to sort of take whatever is it's, it's very Saul Alinsky, right? Is take, take the thing that is most politically inconvenient for you. The thing that they hang around your neck and beat you up with and own it and celebrate it. Right. So like, that's why you have all these jackasses sort of of the alt-right stuff embracing racism because they don't want it to be a, uh, a handicap anymore they want to they want to lean into it and that that instinct is just so poisonous you know you should be able to have consensus on some issues like ransacking the capital and beating up policemen with american flags is bad yeah and you don't need to have a like you don't need to have a like follow-up question of like well, who do they vote for you know like yeah. it just doesn't matter <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah yeah it's so poisonous, yet it's so effective. Why is it so effective, do you think? Because it's entertaining. You know, everything you know about something is wrong. No, actually, we are the good guys. You know, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff is, is box office. Yeah, yeah. Hey, but let, me, let, me, let me ask you something separate. Um, so on Wednesday, I wrote a weird G-file. I know that shocks some people. 
And um, it was about it was about a lot of weird things, but uh, the sort of the, the 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 through line or the kicker or the term that I, that is escaping me right now that I want to identify with what I'm about to talk about is that um, is this sort of the way we incentivize young people in this country to see themselves as victims. Um, and I think it's been going on for a very long time, but it used to be much more narrowly focused to certain, you know, to, to gay people, to, you know, racial minorities. And now in, it's sort of like everybody's got to have some personal narrative about how they were, you know, being oppressed by the system. Um, and, and, um, you're not allowed to say, you know, I've had it pretty good and I don't feel bad yeah. about it. You can say I've had it pretty <laughs> right. good and I feel terrible about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sort of have to be a victim. Um, uh, I guess the question is like, how much of that, like, I see it a lot because my daughter applied to colleges and I would read mm -hmm. all of the essay prompts and it was like, mm -hmm. they were all predicated on this stuff. And I saw who got into college, who got into really good colleges and who didn't among her peers. And this was a, had a big explanatory value. Um, but like once you get out of college, is that still a, is it still a thing in like an actual daily life um, in your experience? I'm actually worried that it's becoming too much of a thing. Like yeah. in grade school and in high school, you know, you'd hear, oh, well in college, they're not going to, they're not going to put up with this, whatever this was, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. they're just not going to put up with it. And then you get there and then they do. <laughs> Yeah. And you're like, oh, like, you and, know, like, and then the people that they're putting up with are running the New York Times. Well, that, exactly. <laughs> no, but like, but like we're laughing, but that's literally kind of my point is like, yeah, the whole point of like, oh, well, you know, the, the, the real world's not going to put up with a late assignment uh, just isn't true. <laughs> and I think it's becoming just the just the how how society works now is. Yeah. And that's kind of weird to me. Because growing something, up, you're told that that's not the way it's going to be. Something I've been talking to people a lot about and thinking about a lot lately, and I'm sure you'll identify this, Ryan, and you certainly will, Jonah, given how long you've lived for, is how... <laughs> is how for your long nice way of saying that. <laughs> for your long tradition of existence. Yeah. yeah. You, you remember when New York burned, Jonah, so you're certainly uh, recognize this pattern. It's, but how, how, looking back, how rapidly mores change and how this intersectionality has culture has suddenly taken such a stranglehold on public life only mm -hmm. in a major sense within the last few years. And something, something I always think about sex education is a great example. I remember when, when I was in school about 10 years ago or whatever, and when all of that was taught, it wasn't even acknowledged that people were gay or that same-sex relationships existed. Like, that wasn't even discussed. It was completely buried. Now, mm -hmm. those classes have probably completely transformed, and undoubtedly kids will be taught about how gender is just a spectrum, all of these things are constructs, probably introduce the pornography in those lessons and so on. And I, I would also like to say, as an aside, you mentioned Tom Wolfe, and we could do a whole podcast just on <laughs> Tom Wolfe, because Tom Wolfe was right about everything, and Tom Wolfe predicted all of this. There's a great speech that everyone who is nerdy enough to listen to this show would love, that Tom Wolfe gave at Brown in 
the early 2000s when he published I Am Charlotte Simmons and was going around mm-hmm. colleges and meeting students there. And he gave this brilliant lecture on how Nietzsche's God is dead was absolutely right and it has come true and all of the ways that it is, you know, he outlines all of the ways that it has come true in American life and he speaks to everything that we've been discussing. And it's mm-hmm. accelerated in so many ways over the last 10, 15 years. When, when um, did he give the speech? In uh, 2003, I want to say. I'll, I'll put it in the notes, but it was the early yeah. 2000s. Yeah, I feel like I read that at, at the time because I feel like that would made a splash. But, you know, I've been around for so long, it's very hard for me to remember. <laughs> um, you were there at the yeah, Masonic no, Lodge, Jonah, when they wrote the Declaration. <laughs> um um uh no but what got me onto this was and i poor guy was a trooper uh he actually transcribed this thing i i just happened on this interview for this obscure podcast of this climate scientist who uh-huh. for the first three minutes i was listening to it, i had no idea she was a climate scientist because all she was doing was talking about intersectionality and bodies of color and minoritized groups. And I was like, what the hell am I listening to? And, and then all of a sudden it turns out like to be a climate, to, to be a climate scientist at freaking Stanford, right. Um, a light skinned Hispanic female climate scientist is basically the same thing as being a Christian in ancient Rome. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're just a victim you're going to be fed to lions yeah. at any moment. You know, the, like they're talking about like, you know, the draconian budget cuts for climate change research. Right. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. It's uh, the, the budget, the, but the spending on climate sciences has probably, I mean, I haven't checked the numbers, but like I, I was alive, you know, uh, guy when people worried about global cooling and in fact, I was alive when people worried that if you sailed too far into the ocean, you just fall off into the <laughs> place where there are monsters. And um, my sense is, and I think it's empirically verifiable, is that spending on climate science research has gone up considerably over my lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, this is this is this in the world of understatements is sort of on par with <laughs> fire hurts. And, um, <laughs> and, 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 and dog feces is not an important part of a nutritious breakfast. I mean, it's just not, <laughs> I think a debatable point. And, uh, yeah. but, uh, you just, it was just amazing how clearly like she felt like she had to speak in this kind of language of, you know, and I, and, and I will confess, I follow left-wing stuff closer than healthy, normal people do. And um, I had never heard minoritized groups before. Have you ever, like, did you ever? No, minorities, there were a couple sure. Terms. There were a couple of terms in that shoe file that I, that I, bodies of color I'd never heard of. Yeah, I've heard bodies yeah. of color. Um, that was the first but time. Like, like, minoritized. Like, who, minor, turning minority but, into a verb is really interesting, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it even makes it more of a victim, right? Like, it's just right. compounds the, the whole thing. Because, like, it, 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 pre- it presumes that under normal circumstances, without the omnipresent, omnicronish persecution of the pale penis people, that, 
she That's would my not have album. been minoritized, <laughs> right? right? It right. was, it was like, right. like this was a status that was assigned to her when in reality, mm-hmm. everything she's saying is about how she leaped to find a minority status. I mean, like, like, like this way. the very first book I ever reviewed for publication was I reviewed a book called Generation, Generation at the Crossroads for the public interest. And um, was very proud to have been published in the public interest because it was one of my favorite egghead journals and uh, my favorite egghead journal. And um, sorry, commentary. And um, take that commentary. All right. So, uh, no, but, um, uh, and then this book. So this book was written, let's call it 1995, something like that, you know, um, you know, which was, I know is just a blink of an eye ago in my lifetime, but you know, it was a while <laughs> ago. Good. And did they have electricity in 1995? They did. They did. I mean, it was, <laughs> you, you had to generate it by riding this big bike, but, right. um, right. but, um, or pushing the, the, the wheel of pain next to Conan. But, um, uh, <laughs> he has this, it's all about student activism and this really dumb book. And, uh, the chapter on race goes like 30 pages talking about how there was this hate crime against this African-American girl at Emory and how, you know, the students rose up and responded to this outrage and not on our watch, not here. And, you know, we will not turn a blind eye and blah, 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 blah. And it's only like in the last two pages of the chapter that he reveals the girl made it up, that there was no hate crime, that it was a hoax. And like, what was astounding to me about it was like, if you're going to have a chapter on race and like bigotry on campus and you discover that the case study that you have is based on a hoax, go find another one, right? Don't right. like just stick yeah. with it. It was really weird. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> and he completely missed the point. This guy, Paul Loeb, I think was his name, but like, like John Miller, a couple years later had done some good, had done some good reporting on this for national review. Like, hate crime hoaxes are a huge deal on college campuses. Yeah. And the reason why I, I, I absolutely, I mean, some of it's because people are, are damaged and, and, and have all sorts of problems, but a big chunk of it is, is that we incentivize it. Like there is, mm-hmm. you are re, in a, in particularly in an, in an, in a, in an attention culture and attention economy to be a victim is heroic in a weird yeah. inverted very nietzschean way and um you earn cultural points and power when you're victimized i mean jesse mm-hmm. smollett was making a rational sort of public choice theory kind of yeah. decision yeah. about yeah. how to boost his career you know and right. um and you see this kind of stuff on college campuses a lot but the campuses don't want to report it because they don't want to report that you know, it's a double-edged sword for them. One, they don't want to report that there were hate crimes. And two, they don't want to report that they are fostering a sort of climate that encourages people to fake hate crimes. Um, plus, they don't want their activist sort of professor types and HR department types to be uh, pissed off at them for claiming that hoaxes ever happen, right? Because we have to live in a racist society. So like, they just get covered up by campus security all the time. Um, but a society that, that invests value in sort of the currency of victimhood, you know, you get more, what 
you always get more of what you subsidize and you always get less of what you tax. We do not tax, you know, like, like it's good that Jesse Smollett is being publicly humiliated. And like, this is a very good thing for America, but we need a lot more of that. Um, and, uh, and so just, just, you know, it, it's, I mean, you, guy, you brought up Nietzsche. It's just a very Nietzschean thing to, to sort of, it's, it's very much sort of an inversion of morality to say, you know, victims are the new heroes and, and, um, and heroes are people of privilege that we shouldn't consider heroic or something. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's a messed up situation. In, in fairness, Jonah, the trial hasn't concluded yet. Jesse Smollett might really have <laughs> been attacked by two Nigerian brothers in white face. I think it's perfectly plausible. <laughs> I should also say, I just thought of something, and I know someone in the comments will mention this if I don't clarify it. Tom Wolfe wasn't right about everything because before he died, he wrote a very strange book about how Darwinism isn't real. And I still don't understand why he did that. So he was wrong about that. But otherwise, okay. <laughs> I forgot about that. He 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 was an enormous fan of again the book, not the phenomenon, liberal fascism. Um, and uh, he kept a copy of it on his desk, um, as Scott Immerglut can attest, because he went to his house. And uh, I had no relationship to him whatsoever. He legitimately gave me a blurb for the book on the merits because he just liked it so much. Wow. Um, uh, so that's nice. always been cool. All right. Um, what else is wait, going wait, on? One, one, one more note on the victim stuff and the fake hate crimes. There was a great, great, great um, article from earlier this year in, in the New York Times at, about the uh, Smith College. Oh, yeah, remember yeah, that? yeah, yeah, remember yeah. Remember that? Yeah. I just found it. So, Guy, I'll send it to you for the show notes. It's, it is a heartbreaking read. Like, yeah, like Jesse Smollett is, is getting his due in court. Um, so sometimes we figure, we figure out the fake hate crimes. But in this case, it was just like a cleaning lady who was accused of racial profiling. There was literally no evidence of it. But she turned into such a toxic figure at the college, in the, in the whole town, if I remember correctly, that she's still unemployed. Like she still cannot get a job anywhere else. Because if you Google her, the story comes up. And even though there's, they've demonstrably uh, proven that it, nothing happened, she still can't have a normal life. Yeah. No, if I remember the story right, it was by Michael Powell. Was that the guy yeah. who wrote it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, it was heartbreaking because basically what happened was there was a black student who was eating like in a common room where you're not supposed to be eating or something like that. Yeah. And a janitor, you know, said something to her about it. And she assumed that this was racially motivated. And, um, you know, it's, it's very, it's very medieval. It's very sort of like, you know, oh, she gave me the evil eye, she must be a witch kind of thinking, you know. And the idea that a black student at an elite college is the, is sort of, ha can claim the victim status and a non-college educated white janitor is right. somehow the person of privilege is just a messed up way to go through the world. I mean, my favorite example of all this stuff was, I can't remember if it was Kenyon or Oberlin. It was one of those kind of schools. and. Um, literally, I mean, talk about like which paranoia mindset. Someone on campus saw someone come out of a building in what they thought was a clan robe mm -hmm. and freaked out and told somebody the clans on campus, the clans here, you know, like kind of thing. Jeez. And no. the campus went into full, I don't know if I'm allowed to say Chinese fire drill anymore, but like oh. went into full kind of like just 
all hands on deck, deck freak out mode. And, um, it turned out it was somebody, it was a cold day and somebody had a white blanket that they had wrapped themselves in. Oh and the f- first instinct of someone seeing someone dressed in white on a hippie liberal arts campus is the clans here, right? <laughs> that's, that's your issue, right? Yeah. That's like, <laughs> that's, that's stuff going on in your head. If, if I immediately, yeah. you know, if somebody, you know, if I see, um, I don't know, and Helen Thomas is gone. But if you see if you see somebody come out from behind a tree and you start screaming, the orcs are invading, you know, like oh that's God. that's on you. That's your yeah. mindset projecting, right? Yeah. And yeah. like the school closed down for a day and a half for sessions, and they brought in like huggers and 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 wow. and therapists for people to deal with the the clan on campus crisis that did not happen. Um and, and, and again, I, I guess we should just for just to indulge my hated and pernicious both sidesism. Uh, it's worth pointing out that the right has plenty of people who want to be victims too, right? I mean, like that. Well, Jonah, that, the yeah. true the true victim in the world right now is Alex Jones. You know this. This is true. This is true. Um, this yet yeah, you had the nerve to tweet <laughs> that he's a that he's a phony. Yeah, so uh, for people who don't know, um, uh, Tucker um, said that Alex Jones is a better and more reliable journalist than Margaret Brennan from CBS and somebody else. I can't remember. Can actually have it up. Ken Delanian from NBC and Margaret Brennan of CBS. CBS. Yeah, okay. And, and look, I mean, I, I, I've met Margaret Brennan a few times. I, I don't know what's going on with Ken Delanian, but like, when I think of like the 20 and 21st centuries, most outrageously crappy reporters and like <laughs> that kind of thing that they, they don't, they're not, they're not even on the extended list. Yeah. I mean, again, yeah. maybe I'm missing some scandal, but Margaret Brennan seems perfectly sensible yeah. and nice to the me. The host of face the nation doesn't exactly yeah. stick out. <laughs> Meanwhile, like Alex Jones is a crazy person who argues in court when he tries to defend himself, that he's an entertainer and that no one should take him seriously. And he's the one who said that, which is also an argument that Tucker's lawyers have made about Tucker. Yeah. But um, And Maddow. And Maddow, to be fair, both sidesism for everybody. Um, but uh, And Sidney Powell, technically, right? And Sidney Powell. Um, but she... Uh, um, I think we got them all. <laughs> no, I'm sure there are more. I'm sure. We're gonna I mean, keep like, going all night. Like, guys. frankly, like I am sure, like someone sued Andrew Dice Clay or Hulk Hogan yeah, right. or other enter- similar entertainers. Or Hulk Hogan. And Hulk Hogan. That's the great the Gawker case, which is a great yeah, documentary. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Yeah. That's a whole other thing. Kayfabe, Jonah. K-fabe. That is indeed a whole other thing. So yeah. anyway, my only point is, is that like uh, Alex Jones. You know, the 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 truly evil thing he did was he accused in a convoluted way, but nonetheless accused the parents of a bunch, you know, like at the Sandy Hook shooting, that guy was not named Adam Lonzo or whatever. He shot, he blew away a bunch of kindergartners, like five-year-olds. Like imagine sending, you guys don't have kids, um, at least not ones that you're willing to claim. Uh, but uh, um, like imagine dropping off your kids, you know, at, carpool at some daycare at like kindergarten kind of thing and some monster comes along and murders them and 
His claim was that they, no, 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 this never happened. The parents are all crisis actors. Um, this is just a big myth talking about like having to take the mm-hmm. opposite position, you know, that when they hang something on you, you have to turn it into something right. else. Right. You know, um, you know, we have to, you know, it could be miles and miles of, we got to turn it all into Shinola. And, um, uh, and, and Tucker and like, and like literally Alex Jones refused to actually engage in his own defense to the point where the judge just like what, two weeks ago, gave a summary finding in favor of uh, the parents, which is like, I talked to David French about this at the time. It is like super rare. You have to be either incredibly poorly represented or just not remotely trying to defend yourself for this to happen. And and Tucker's going around saying that, you know, like Alex Jones is, I I don't even know what the conflict was. The the, the thing was, and uh, like what, what, why he was running to Alex. Oh, because he says that Alex Jones was trying to keep, maintain calm and help people on January 6th, and that makes him a hero, or some idiocy like that. And, um, like... Which he then teases his documentary. Right, which he then teaches, uses to tease Patriot Purge, you know, which is this propagandistic nonsense. And, um, like, the funny thing was, so I pointed this out, you know, in brief on Twitter, and the number of people, like... There's a wonderful thing where people sort of tell you who they are without realizing how much they're telling you who they are. And it was like the number of people who said, you know, screw you, Goldberg. Alex Jones is such a better reporter than you are. He's broken. I I love them. Yes, you're going to say it. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah, He was like, I can think of at least I can think of dozens of stories that were true that Alex Jones broke. I can't think of any that Goldberg (laughs) did. (laughs) (laughs) It's like. Again, that's yeah, you lazy, you lazy. That's the clan on campus, right? It's like, like if yeah. you, if your go-to, def, you know, defense of Tucker's support of Alex Jones is say that no, 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 Alex Jones is a better reporter than you are because he's broken all of these things about I don't know what, like what, like we should have had we the, fro- the, the gay this. frogs. That's yeah. that was his big the gay break. frogs. You know, that was frogs, big. Yeah. That's right. And mm-hmm. um, um, chemtrails. I yeah. guess chemtrails. Sure, you know, the Sandy Hook again. Um, but Ross, I don't, I, like, I, I'm not a reporter as generally speaking. Yeah. So like, it's a category, but like, that's the thing is like, if you think Alex Jones is a reporter <laughs> and that he's actually breaking real news, that's your bag, baby. That's like, right. you're telling me something about yourself. That's right. not a criticism of me. You know, I right. mean, it's not a legitimate criticism of me and just, just a lot of crazy, you know, there's a lot of nonsense out there. I'm so glad you brought up that point that we're all supposed to forget, apparently, about how in court his own lawyers admitted that he's an actor. I mean, yeah. this, is, this is something I remember you talking about with Williamson, I think, back on the super spectacular 400th episode that everyone was so pleased about, where he's, he's no different to, I mean, more power to him if he can make a living, but Alex Jones is no different to a psychic or a medium. Right. Or an old-fashioned Wild Western snake oil salesman. He's a con man putting a very effective business model into action. And that person who sent you that tweet, who probably thinks he's so intelligent and so enlightened, is the ultimate sucker <laughs> buying into it. It's really, right. It's really, I, I also have a, a quick aside. And this is something I don't think I'll be able to find it anywhere. 
that back in back in the early 2010s, I used to listen to a podcast based out of Austin called Spill.com, which was about movies and pop culture. And the hosts originally did a public access TV show down in Austin at the mm -hmm. same time that Alex Jones was on public access TV. And they were all very well acquainted with Alex Jones. And there is a wonderful clip somewhere. I'm sure it's on YouTube. I can't remember what the podcast was or when it was recorded. But one of the hosts told a great story about how one day after Alex had done one of his crazy original public access broadcasts, he suddenly he left the studio and then became an ordinary, old-fashioned Texan gent and said, come on, guys, let's all go out for dinner, and let's, I'll go buy you some beers. And while they were all drinking together, he said, yeah, you know, I, I don't believe any of that stuff. And, you know, I'm not even sure how I feel about religion, maybe. Like, I might be an atheist. I don't know. <laughs> I love that story. I wish I could find it. Um, so I, I really wish I had done this with my ExpressVPN on and in incognito mode. <laughs> but oh wow because i re i remember people making fun of alex jones about this a while ago and i wanted to see if it was true that he sold extends because you were when you were talking about how he's like an infomercial huckster mm -hmm. um i i'm sure you guys have no need for or knowledge of what extends is but extends <laughs> is not viagra right no um it is, it is a pill that they claim will physically make your manhood larger. Not like better blood flow, whatever, that, none of that kind of stuff. Like literally not, like- We'll put it this way. It's not fixing a condition. That's right, right. That it's sort of have. like, let, so that we can talk about this in terms that are, that are child safe. Um, yes. Let's say we lived as, in a culture- we have a very large children contingent. <laughs> Some people to listen to it in the car. I mean, I get, I get those <laughs> I know, emails. I know. So like, I let's say we lived in a culture where thumb size was considered a true hallmark of manhood, right? Um, and, and to some extent we do, which is why Donald Trump was so upset that people said his hands were small. Um, you know, his little T-Rex hands. Um, but uh, let's just say that the thumb size is considered a, an indicator of, of masculinity, right? Um, yeah. So that Luca Brazzi would wish that Don Corleone's first grandchild be a masculine child with very large thumbs, that kind of thing. <laughs> Extends, in this scenario, is a pill that would, according to the promoters, make your thumbs much, much better. Bigger, just physically bigger. Um, there is no known medical technology that comes in pill form that can do anything like that. And yeah. like, and I anyway. So I googled around, and there's just a lot of stuff about Alex Jones and 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 not thumbs, but uh, you get where I'm coming from. And so anyway, it just it's 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 just amazing to me. Like if if you find yourself in an argument and you think that the way out is to embrace the ethical and journalistic excellence of, of Alex Jones, you've lost. And we, it doesn't matter what we're yeah. arguing about. You know, you could be on the side of the world being round. And, but if you say, as Alex Jones said in his pathbreaking documentary or whatever, 
you've lost. It's just they're like there's certain magic words that make you figuratively speaking, you know, turn into a pile of dust. And that's, you know, that's one of them. Anyway. Have you have you seen um just quickly, I think the episode before last, we talked about Milo Yiannopoulos. Milo Yiannopoulos is now selling religious statues on obscure Catholic, yeah, Catholic online news shows. I saw well, that. He he prayed the gay away, right? He did. He did. Yeah, and he but he said in some interview, because I'm, I'm like I'm in a sort of sort of like you know how when you have a lo- when you had a loose tooth, it hurt, but you love playing with it anyway. I'm mildly interested in what's going on with Milo because uh, I thought he was such a sinister character. And and it, so it's funny, like, uh, during the... I think I mentioned this to Starwall, but um, but during the whole freak out about me leaving Fox stuff, um, the there was a moment, at least, where I was, according to my LA Times editor, the number one trending topic on Google in the whole country. Um, yeah, like I, my editor was like, you are ahead of Amazon black Friday deals on (laughs) as a trending topic. Yeah. And like, and the thing is, that's weird. Like having been in sort of weird media feeding frenzies before, starting with the Lewinsky stuff. And then actually before that was some stuff with Wattenberg. I know that has nothing to do with me. Right. It's like, it has to do with people's Fox obsessions both on the right and the left. And I am just a leaf on the wind of those gales in the culture for a brief period of time. And it's no reflection on me being a good person or a bad person or any of these kinds of things. And um, the only reason I bring it up is that when, in one of the few times, one of the many times I got into fights with Milo about his ridiculous, crappy defenses of the alt-right or whatever it was. I mean, he was just a horrible person. Um, Uh, he responded, this is what he responded with a chart and it was mentions on Google of my name and his name and his chart, his line was way above mine. And he was like, this is why Goldberg doesn't like me. And, uh, and the thing is, is like, that's, that's sort of like saying Alex Jones is a great, you know, reporter. If, that's projection that is you revealing something about yeah. yourself that you think right. that my objections to you can't be that you're defending neo-nazis it has to be that you're getting more buzz and google search terms or whatever and uh and i was just thinking about that it was like you know like the other day when this google thing came up i was like i wonder how bummed milo must be about this <laughs> uh, but then again i forgot that he is now he's prayed the gay away and um Oh, that's what I was going to say about Milo. He he said in some write-up about this, because like he is identified as recovering homosexualist. Um, sexualist. Sexualist, right. And I had never heard that phrase before either. It's sort of like the crazy right-wing minoritized thing, right? Yeah. He's a recovering homosexualist because I gather <laughs> to claim that he is recovering from his gayness uh, you have to make the argument that this was an ideological mistake, right? Mm-hmm. He couldn't have been born that way. It can't be, or it can't be congenital or, or hardwired in any way. It has yeah. to be sort of like having, you know, like, like believing in Keynesian multipliers and then being proven wrong. He mm-hmm. believed that like he liked repeatedly having sex with men and then 
someone persuaded him that he didn't actually like it all of those times. Right. <laughs> and um, it, there's an Onion <laughs> article I would love to quote here, but I'm not going to. But uh, Children are listening, Jonah. Yes. That's right. But in, in, the, <laughs> in the same piece or one of the pieces that I read, it was a while ago, he was like, yeah, I still live with my boyfriend, my former boyfriend. We just don't sleep together. And I think he's okay that we're not having sex anymore because I keep giving him lots of jewelry. And like, I have questions (laughs) that I'm not sure I want to know the answer to, but like, and then, you know, he's now doing on these, he's on these, like, you know, get your Trump rosary beads, um, (laughs) infomercials or whatever. It's, uh, we'll link it. it, It's almost like he's getting what he deserves, you know? But I I would love though, and you mentioned this last time, I would love to see a, a, Thorough, a thorough article with numerous sources in it, like an epic, old-fashioned kind of report, just detailing how exactly his collapse played out. Because I think I remember a couple of years ago reading something in BuzzFeed that went into a good amount of detail about it, and they, I believe, I may be misremembering, again, we'll try to find it and put it in the notes, They've said that it was some random high school girl in Michigan or some state like that who combed through all of his old podcast appearances and clips to find the Peter Thillick quotes from him that brought him down. But then I remember later on, after he he, he gave – it's funny to think about this. It feels like another lifetime. He gave that press conference where he said, I'll be back. I'll still be the most famous person in the conservative movement. You can all laugh. And then swiftly disappeared. But I remember shortly after that, his argument was that it was really the conservative movement, the mainstream bagel snarfing NR crowd that did this to him. And I think he might have actually named you, Jonah, or maybe named some of the people behind CPAC and said it was them who, who deliberately tried to take him out. Well, I mean, like, I, uh, I plead guilty. I deliberately tried to take yeah. him out. Well, <laughs> but, but, but I mean, what happened with sourcing those old audio clips and everything? That's what oh, I'm yeah, I, I had nothing to about. do with, like, I, I, I want to be very clear. I have not spent any time going through old <laughs> podcast appearances of Milo to find quotes about him as a teenager uh, having sex with older men. I just <laughs> not, I, I, I got other things I, I want to yeah. do with my time. Um, yeah. But when when those things surfaced, like I was very mad, but be very blunt about it. I was very mad at Match Lab and at CPAC for inviting him to CPAC, um, and there and Schlapp, who was completely full of fecal matter on this stuff, um, was doing it all in the sort of anti cancel culture. Free speech is great. We are, CPAC is a place for robust debate, which is what social scientists call a huge freaking lie. Yeah. And, um, uh, and the reason I was mad about them inviting Milo is like, I'm one of these guys, like we go back to this whole thing about some questions should be closed, right? Something, some yeah. dogmatic positions should just remain closed. Milo was the guy who co-wrote, you know, that big defense of the alt-right, big defense of sort of identitarian racism nonsense. And it was one of these kinds of apologetics where every time something was indefensible, he would spin it around and blame the person who were offended saying, Oh, you just don't have a sense of humor. Cause that's really what's just going on here. Right. And it was just, I was just joking kind of nonsense. And, um, 
And I just thought, you know, he was a force for evil and was mm-hmm. a bad force for, you know, bad influence on conservatives. And it was the kind of person that even the older, you know, CPAC has always been a bit of a carnival kind of thing, but there was a time when he was exactly the kind of person they would keep out. And instead they were celebrating and, and, and cheering the fact that they had him in. And then the pedophilic, you know, memory lane stuff came out and that was the thing that all of a sudden was causing a problem for CPAC. CPAC did not have a problem inviting him, this defender of the alt-right and racism and all of these kinds of things. They had a problem. I mean, I have a problem with it too. It's this, you know, defender of man-boy love stuff, even though it, it's not strictly speaking, we should be clear, it's not strictly speaking pedophilia that he was talking about. He was talking about, what is it called? A bonaf- ep- epiphanelia. It's this, it's the older male Who attraction cares? to yeah. post-pubescent <laughs> teenagers, right? Careful. Anyway, yeah, yeah. yeah. and like, I'm against that too. You know, like I'm against all of it, and and, and I don't care whether it's gay or straight. Show like has been against Epstein. it since 1750. For your <laughs> yeah. But um, uh, but anyway, like. And then all of a sudden, a bunch of people who I now have huge problems with were on my side on this. And I just kept calling, mostly on Twitter, and I think I wrote about it somewhere, calling out slapping these people for having him at CPAC. And, um, and eventually CPAC caved. And I'm sure, I'm sure Milo thinks I'm partly to blame because, again, I think I am partly to blame. I'm really quite <laughs> yeah. proud of it. Um, yeah. I still think CPAC has become garbage. Um, but for different reasons. Um, so anyway. I'm glad CPAC has a line, but I'd like them to move the line a little further, yeah. a little no, further right. up. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's like my friend in college who liked potted meat sandwiches and, uh, what he would do. Def- do you know what potted meat is? Uh, it's, I don't think so. it makes scrapple look like high end pate. <laughs> um, it is, it is, Real, I'm sure it's a British delicacy, um, but in in the states, <laughs> that doesn't match. Yeah, it's uh, it's really grim. I mean, it's like it makes like underwood and liver. I mean, it's just it's grim, and it just sounds gross. It's it's worse, and I I'll tell some more stories off the air. But uh, the <laughs> uh, he um, when we would give him a hard time about eating them, uh, these potted meat sandwiches, which he would leave the crusts around with his cigarette butts stamped out in the plate which is just oh a great my. look and um Ugh. he would he would yell at us and say uh listen potted meat meets the minimum standards set by the food and drug administration fit for human <laughs> consumption and as if the, this was this roaring defense and um and that's sort of like you're right about cpac it's like yeah <laughs> I'm glad they like Milo when he came out as like this, yeah. you know, pr- predation on young boys thing is okay. It, you know, ta- what's the line from Four Weddings and a Funeral? Buggered me senseless, but taught me a thing or two. Right, that was basically <laughs> yeah. his position. Yeah. And um, I'm glad that CPAC drew the line there, but I agree the line could be set a little higher, just yeah. a little yeah. higher than the yeah. minimum basic threshold fit for human consumption. Right? <laughs> The potted meat standard. I, I just, I love the thought of like picking something from the grocery store, knowing it looks disgusting and checking the label. Like, is this approved? Like, is this, is this okay to eat? And oh, then dude, going like, with it and then deciding, yeah, I think it's good. I'll, I'll I mean, I, I, I've looked this up before because I've told the story, the full version of the story quite often. Um, 
I looked it up. I mean, like potted meat ingredients include like on a lot of the brands, uh, um, beef lips, Ugh. um, which is just I've like had cow tongue, but that's a real, I've thing. had a lot. I've had a lot of cow tongue. My dad loved cow tongue. Yeah. Um, I would open up my fridge as a kid and there would often be just a giant friggin' tongue <laughs> in the center of the fridge. Um, but we don't, I don't, I, I, I don't need to trigger a lot of those flashbacks. So, um, sounds like a scene out a of Jacob's tongue. ladder. <laughs> we should, we should specify a cow tongue, not just like a tongue. The actual, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's fair. Right. It wasn't like, <laughs> it, it, it wasn't Hannibal Lecter's fridge. Yeah. You know, it was a cow tongue that purchased yeah. at a store, you know. Yes. Um, legally. Have you ever legally. tried legally. grain or hearth or anything like that, Jonah? Of, of, Please specify the, the, I mean, the, the well, animal. <laughs> I, I, I would imagine. Any mammal. Any mammal. Yeah, skunk. Uh, woodpecker. My, my mom loves sweetbreads, which is the fancy way of saying gow brains. And, uh, and mm. I've tasted them. Not a fan. Don't like the consistency. Don't like the concept. I think... I think Mad Cow did a lot to dampen the the already struggling cow brain market. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, I do love liver. Like, all like I, I love like chicken livers a lot. Um, but I can only have them I've like had, once a year. I've had um, uh, deer heart, white tailed deer heart. That's not bad. Really? Yeah. yeah. Did you just like, were you in the forest and you plucked it out yeah. of its chest, yes. still steaming and stuck. bit into it? Yeah, I was stuck in the dead of winter outside for a week, and then, uh-huh. thank God there was a dead deer on the, on the side of the road. Were you with your like your fellow Celtic warriors in like green yeah. body paint? <laughs> yes. yes. Uh-huh. This beard I have now was down to my knees. <laughs> Provided a lot I'm of glad. warmth. <laughs> um. All right. So I know I teased that we were going to talk about the fox stuff, but I had a long talk with Steve, and we we've. We've sort of done this in tandem so far, so we figured we'll do our first like real interview together about it. Um, but just for, he didn't want for to listeners, give it to us and Guy. I know well, <laughs> um, we still might, Ryan. I would love to. That's true. Uh, but you know, I mean, uh, just just uh, because I said I would talk about it a little bit, I should just sort of say, um, like, uh, you know. It wasn't an easy decision. We have zero desire. Like it was a great thing for me to be driving cross country when this whole thing happened, which was not planned mm-hmm. in any way. You know, like mm-hmm. we started, you know, the, 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 and we'll put in the show notes, the New York times piece and the NPR piece that would sort of basically explain. And of course the thing that Steve and I wrote, um, but we, um, you know, we made the decision in what late October, to that enough was enough and that we just felt like we had to leave. I and mean, we talked to the staff at the, um, yep. at that meeting in the beginning, what was the beginning of November, something like yeah, that, I think so. um, yeah. about how this was coming and you should be prepared. <laughs> and, uh, but there were a lot of legal considerations about how to get out of, you know, get out of Fox without getting sued and making sure that, you know, we didn't have defamation clauses, which we wouldn't sign and all this kind of stuff. And, um, um, so it was a long process and this plan to go cross country was patched independent of all of these things. And we had no idea when we made this decision yeah. that this was going to happen then. So anyway, my only point is, is like, 
there were a bunch of, I saw a bunch of people saying, oh, you went to ground and, you know, you were hiding and, and it's nonsense. I was like, literally, what was I supposed to start tweeting while going 85 miles an hour through Montana? Um, and, um, uh, and another big talking point out there is that, you know, I did this, you know, because, you know, like, I, I will say this, um, uh, some unnamed executive at Fox is, is lying. Um, when they say, well, I shouldn't say lying. I don't know that they're lying, you know, and, and I, and we don't want to defame people because litigiousness is a thing and I don't want to get sued. Nope. Yep. Someone is making a very unpersuasive argument when they say that Fox had already decided to cancel me. Um, it may be true that, that yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone gave it to like reliable sources or something. I gave it to the Washington post and the post ran oh, it wow. as if like, this was a credible thing. And a bunch of reporters then, you know, immediately start texting me or DMing me or emailing me saying, you know, what is this true? Is this true? And did, let's sorry, put it did this the way. post ask you before they publish it? No, I don't think so. No, I mean, there's certainly not. I mean, I, a, a different that's, reporter at the post asked me about it, but, um, that's and, crazy. but, it, but it was also all over the place in the Twitter sphere and all this kind of stuff. And the yeah. thing is, the simple fact is, is that it's, um, it's just, I mean, look, it may be true. It may be that some executives yeah. at Fox decided 14, 15 months out that I had to go in 14 or 15 months. Um, but no one told me that. And that's not how networks work. Like, you don't make the decision about whether or not to renew someone when you still have over a year left on their contract. Yeah. Unless they've done something, you know, unless they were found with a you know, a dead girl or a live boy in their trunk or something, right? Or and human then, tongue in their freezer. That's right. Then you make a decision, you know, and you stop putting them on air. But they were still putting me on air. I mean, I was still doing special report and other shows, you know, um, yeah. uh, all this time. And so, and also if that was their position, they should have told, they should have said that when Ben Smith or David Folkenflik asked for comment in the initial stories that broke and they didn't say that. So, um, you know, just to dispel things, it's entirely possible. I've said on this podcast many, many times that I didn't think necessarily I was going to get renewed or I might not get renewed. Um, uh, and I said that because a, I thought it was true and B because I was lamenting what a crappy situation I had gotten myself into vis-a-vis -vis Fox. But, um, but like leaving a lot of money, at least for my eye standards, you yeah. know, something close to, not quite, but close to half my income on the table, uh, 14 months out, um, was not a strategy, right? It was not some <laughs> media play. It was like something that, that me and Steve thought we had to do. And anyway, we can save the rest of the TikTok stuff for later, but I just, I, I did want to sort of address that because I keep hearing, I get, you know, I'm getting this blowback from people constantly and a lot of untrue things are becoming conventional wisdom among a lot of people. And, um, you know, and Steve might be mad at me for talking about it this much, but the good thing about having equal shares in the dispatch is he can't fire me. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but I also got to fire me though. Just, so Steve, I told him not to, I told him, not yeah, to he begged me, it. Steve, he begged, yeah, he got I, on I, his knees yeah, and begged. Yeah, exactly. And AI employs me, so the joke's on you, Ryan. Enjoy. <laughs> yes, yeah, it falls to me. It falls to me. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, it's been a weird time. And, um, but it's been, you know, uh, the positive feedback has been so much greater and more reassuring than the negative feedback. 
And well, I'm not saying that every single person who was critical of the decision is uh, wrong or crazy or, 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 or a bad person or anything like that. Sort of like with the Alex Jones thing, a remarkably high, a remarkably large amount of the particularly blue checkmark kind of people who attacked this were revealing far more about themselves than they were revealing about me and Steve. And it was a, it was a really interesting die marker to see the people who thought like they were getting the better of me or had a be- had, had the, the devas- correct devastating interpretation, which really just revealed how they see the world rather yeah. than like anything about the facts that actually happened. So, um, with that, I guess we should probably wrap it up. Is there anything else that we were supposed to talk about? When I say supposed to, that's we, we could go for another hour uh, talking about, I'm thinking of ending things, Jonah, which may have plunged you into an existential crisis recently. Oh yeah. So what? Yeah. It, it, part of the problem is like the title of this movie makes it sound like you're <laughs> suicidal just to like <laughs> mention it. <laughs> What the hell's going on? <laughs> the movie is called I'm Thinking of Ending Things. And, and amazingly, it's not like this super cheery, feel-good movie. Um, <laughs> you know, it's sort of like, wow. what, was Lionel, what was Lionel Hutz's you know, lawsuit against the never-ending? This may be the greatest instance yes. of false advertising since my lawsuit against the never-ending story. Um, <laughs> this, was not, this was not false advertising. This was like the title was truly and deeply reflective of how depressing the whole thing was in a weird way though. Cause it was like, it held your attention. Um, wait, what? So this is just a movie that you saw. Yes. Oh, I'm just, missing the context. I, I watched it. I tweeted something about how I had many opinions about it. And oh. like guy, guys like the other person who's seen this movie. And <laughs> so he has, he has views on it as well. I, I I'm tempted not to talk about it at any great length only because it might encourage a lot of people to watch it and I'm not sure it's not a bad movie, <laughs> Yeah, but it's not, it's not a movie that everyone's is ever going to say to you. I'm so glad you made me watch that movie. Right. You know, it's just that that's, that's <laughs> not it. You know, um, I should guy, say you quickly thoughts. Well, if people, if people are listening to this and they're in countries or places where they're locked down and can't go anywhere or see anyone or do anything for the love of God, do not watch the movie because you will throw yourself <laughs> off a bridge. But it, it, I mean, this, this is for people who have no idea what this is. This is a Charlie Kaufman movie. If any of the people who aren't familiar with the movie are familiar with Charlie Kaufman, makes very strange, surreal, postmodernist films that are filled with existential dread. He wrote Adaptation and Being John Malkovich, which I think are both very clever, but not very fulfilling. And then this is the third movie that he's, directed and the thing the thing that i appreciate about it and about his previous two movies even though this is not going to be a ringing endorsement for many people is that they both do not shy away from the fact and one of the key points to take away from all of them is that it is entirely possible and this is a sentiment that no other movie would be bold enough to convey to live your entire life being completely miserable and to die being completely unfulfilled, and to never have done anything meaningful or satisfying of note, which is a, a powerful and very true idea. The movie is, is difficult to explain, but it's essentially about, uh, and it shouldn't be spoiled also, but it's about someone who has lived an unfulfilled life, basically, and is mm-hmm. going through a 
moment of crisis reflecting on it in his head. Um, none of this, none of this is making the cut. God, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, no, you can keep going. You can keep going, but this is there's no way. <laughs> did you ever speaking of depressing movies? Did you ever see Everybody's Fine, the Italian movie? Maybe um, I, it's so like I saw it with the girlfriend who recently had a death in the family, and this was a huge mistake. And um, and this is a movie that you, Lionel Hutz could sue, like Never Ending Story, for false advertising because Everybody's Fine sounds like it may be like. Everybody's fine. And spoiler, but the movie's now like 30 years old. So I saw it, you know, when I was middle age. And um, <laughs> the, uh, uh, the long and short of it, the movie begins with this very cute grandpa-like old man talking to his wife. Um, and we see a grandpa through his wife's eyes. And he's like, I'm going to go visit the kids. You know, they all, and they we're all going to meet in Rome for a big holiday dinner. And I'm, probably messing up some of the details it doesn't matter and um and then it'll be all great and wonderful yay avuncular happy grandpa guy and then he goes and visits all of his kids and they all turn out to be either well one's missing probably killed himself i can't remember uh the rest are either miserable or um um or a different kind of miserable um or like disappointments or whatever and he has this, and he keeps talking about how he's going to have, well, everyone's got to come to the big dinner. And so the movie kind of almost ends where he's at the dinner and only two of the kids show up. And it's basically really depressing with all these empty place settings. And then the final scene of the movie, spoiler alert, but again, don't watch this movie, uh, is he goes back to see his wife and he says to her, oh, it was great. All the kids are wonderful. Everybody's fine. And it's this giant lie to, her, to, to save his wife's feelings. And then the camera pans around, and it turns out that he's been talking to her gravestone the entire time. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it's the most bleak. <laughs> so he like, he's lying to his dead wife's grave. And you oh, just. Oh, wow. It was so brutal and uh, <laughs> oh, Lord. uh not oh. not a great date movie just not a great date movie i mean like oh my God. let's forgot. go home and watch schindler's <laughs> list to cheer that, up you know? that explanation <laughs> you know? went on for so long i forgot you were on a date <laughs> <laughs> with with my girlfriend at the time yeah. who had a death in the family like oh it God. was Oh bad. my god. It was just bad, you know. So well on that note, everybody. On that cheery note, hug you <laughs> hug your family. <laughs> and uh happy Hanukkah to all those uh of the persuasion. And I will um next week's gonna be a little complicated because our driving situation is getting all kind of weird um with my wife's project, but um there will be remnants and uh uh, and Guy and Ryan, thank you for doing this. And uh, thank you Thanks again to all me. the dispatch people. And um, I'll see everybody next week. No, you won't, Jonah. This is a podcast. Yeah. 
red leather, yellow leather. Greetings, dear listeners. This is just, let me start that again. <laughs> Outtake. That's uh-huh. it's gold. Gold. Um, it's a it's 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 a shiny bit of pyrite. All right. Uh, Worst episode ever, Jonah. 